Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Spider, spider, burning bright. In the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? I know it's symmetry, but you got to rhyme it, right? Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. And I'm Tony approving of your Middle English, Old English rhyming, because they would have made it rhyme back then. Yes. Yes, they would have. Yeah. They will say, screw it. It's close enough. We're going to make it rhyme. There you go. <laughs> I don't care if I'm saying it wrong. This rhymes. That's just the way it well, is. Well, in the original poem, with it being Tiger Tiger spelled T-Y, it is spelled T-Y because... He was writing it, middle, sorry, English major. I know. This, like, I even know. the opening of this series gave me, like, flashbacks to, it was the best of times. It was the day drinkiest of times. Like, getting an English degree. What a, what a fun time. Paying to read. Paying to read. Yeah, it's just terrible. You know what else is a fun time, people? Reading comics. And the comic we're looking at yeah. this week is from 1987. It is been voted by many as one of the greatest Spider-Man stories of all time, Craven's Last Hunt. Now, Petula, had you read Craven's Last Hunt before this? Absolutely not. I would have remembered this because nightmares. Yes, yes, because this is, I think, probably one of the few times where you can classify Spider-Man as a horror comic. Yeah. Because it mm-hmm. deals with a lot of illusion, deals with a lot of... There's no supernatural elements, but it's definitely a horror thriller. And it has a very winding road to finally getting to come out. Because originally, this was not a story about Spider-Man. This was a book about Wonder Man. You know, the B-tier character who is an Avenger, falling at the hands of his brother, the Grim Reaper, and being buried alive. And then having to crawl out of the grave and stop his half-brother from committing atrocities. And when he pitched that to Tom DeFalco in the uh, the mid-80s, DeFalco passed. He didn't really care about it. He just turned it down. So that was J.M.D. Matisse, the writer who pitched it. J.M.D. Matisse then would take it to D.C. and rework it as a Batman story with the idea of like, what would happen if the Joker actually killed Batman? And his idea is like, well, he'd go sane. They liked the story, but they're like, we have this other big Batman story that kind of deals with similar themes coming out. It's called The Killing Joke. And yeah, of course, this was not going to get through. If it was going up against The Killing Joke, it's like Alan Moore, it's considered one of his big tentpole stories of the 80s. This was not going to get through. So he went back to the drawing board and he reworked the story again. It's still a Batman story, but made it about Hugo Strange. And DC passed on that as well. They didn't, they didn't care. So J.M.D. Batiste finds himself back at Marvel and he's been asked to pitch a story to the Spider-Man editors. And so he comes with this and makes it a Spider-Man story, originally making the villain a brand new character. And this time around, they said, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it. If it had have gone the way it would have gone with this brand new character, I don't know if we'd be talking about it to this day. As there's something very like, as you, as you put it, it's very literature. It's very like 
classic base to have the hunter and the hunted kind of story. So a chance encounter with the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Dematias comes across Craven the Hunter and goes, that's the guy we should have in here. So he goes back to him and says, we're going to rework it. It's going to be Craven the Hunter. And they, they sign on Mike Zek to be the artist who uh, James Dematias had recently worked with on Captain America. And he's like, oh, okay, we got him. I'm going to bring in this a third character named Vermin to be kind of almost like a piece for the hero and the villain to play off of. And since Mike Zek co-created him with me, you know, it's like, this is this is great. This is going to be good. It's one of those things with this book for me is that Craven's Last Hunt, such a cool story for a villain. Very cool. Like it is the villains. It's more Craven's story than it is Spider-Man's. Spider-Man really isn't a part of the story until the halfway through the second act. Really. He has a little appearance at the first act and then the second we'll just act. Go nap. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, then he's away for a bit. Exactly. He's taking a dirt nap. So I love that Craven gets to shine here and everything like that. The sad part is it's the only good Craven story. For a character that has been around forever, you know, one of the original Spider-Man villains coming out in the 60s, put together, you know, Ditko Droom, you know, everything. It's like, he's like an iconic character in the Spider-Man rogues gallery. But this is really the only good story about him. And so it's kind of bittersweet. It's like, oh, Craven the Hunter, he's a badass. He's a great villain, but only because of this story. His outfit is still preposterous, but I love it. There is something about a big fur collar. Mm. He's trying to, I guess, give you beast, give you big main king of the jungle, but it's just more serving kind of 70s pimp. And he seems blissfully unaware of it, which I love. Yeah. Like his whole aesthetic. I like his planning. They do have to thread the needle of this guy clearly has some issues that could be helped by therapy or just, you know, finding something to do with his skills, like something in perhaps the area of sort of conservationist slash animal population control. Like these are transferable skills. Instead, he's just out here wanting to, you know, keep fighting like the deadliest game. Yeah. Yeah. And well, prove himself. Course, yeah. Yeah. Which of course and is always it, the basis of Craven. Yeah. Man is the most dangerous game. The spider is the most dangerous game. Yeah. And the use of that poem even is like, give the simplest analysis is God, you made monsters and you made beautiful things. Like how did you make both of these things? Yeah. But there's beauty in the beasts. They they take us to the edge of that with Vermin, who's legitimately gross. Like, yeah, <laughs> just disgusting. Great job on the art for the fur. The fur really pops when Vermin's in attack mode. And also the sort of drool slime coming out of his mouth when he's about to eat someone that he prefers. It appears to eat women. I don't want to yuck his yum, but it's yeah. not great. Let yeah, he takes that. He takes the idea of predator too far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Back to Craven. This version of him is fun, but grotesque. 
And I feel sad for him halfway through. Yeah. Because it's like, bro, you spent all this time and it's like, Spider-Man doesn't think about you like this. Like, all you think about is him. He's like thinking about MJ, thinking about his auntie, just thinking about his life, like innocent people that need protecting his own journey, his own stuff. Like, it's very much kind of two parallel stories mm. where it's like one person obsessed with the other one and the other person just like wants to live his life and get home to his like hot redhead in her tight pants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The basis of the, the whole story is Craven, after years of being defeated by Spider-Man, has decided not only does he want to finally catch Spider-Man, finally win the day, he wants to prove that he can be better than him. So his plan is to capture Spider-Man, subdue him with some kind of drug to simulate death, bury him on the plot that he has at his estate, and then don a Spider-Man costume and go out and inflict his form of justice. Basically proves that I can do what you do better. I will not only stop the criminals, but I will break the criminals. The criminals will be broken at my hands. I will become the spider. And he, of course, before he does this, he, he goes on kind of a bit of a drug trip. And it's very obvious that his nightmares are filled with spiders and the, uh, the emotional baggage of the, the trauma that he carries of seeing at a young age, seeing his mother be carted off to an asylum. And uh, so yeah, he's dealing with all that. And that's why he has this, these issues of like, he wants to prove himself. Obviously him and his father did not have a strong connection and his father was very cold. And so this is him proving himself better because he feels that just like his father, the spider doesn't respect him. So he does that. He puts him in the ground and he becomes Spider-Man and he ruins the good name of Spider-Man. If it had already been ruined already millions of times by the bugle, but it is like the tour de force of like, I'm not only am I going to beat you, but then I'm going to find somebody who you needed help to beat. And I'm going to beat them too, to the point where they will scream. They will no longer be a predator. They will beg for their life to me. And so Vermin, of course, as you mentioned, was seen, you know, trying to, uh, well, he, she, he does capture some women into the sewers. He eats them. He moves on. Craven catches him. And basically tortures him to the point where once this, you know, angry, strong character is now a whimpering fool. He goes full Gollum. Yeah, full exactly. Gollum. Exactly. <laughs> the whole thing is that's all leading up. And meanwhile, you have Mary Jane who's at home and they have just gotten married. In the comics, the marriage story had just come out shortly before this was going to come out. So... He had worked out the entire story. Dimitris had worked out the entire story. And they said, oh, no, okay, well, we're having a marriage issue coming out on this date, this the annual. And that's when Mary Jane and Peter Parker are finally getting married. So you got to work her into the story. And he said, okay, well, how do I do that? And he realized it's like, oh, she represents, you know, every family member of a first responder and things like that, sitting at home wondering, will the person I love come back? Okay, where are they? What's happening? And that will be the motivation for Peter to crawl out of his grave and come back because that's the thing he's fighting for. 
And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. How they set it up is that because of this, she's not associated with the story. She has to have her own kind of like little monologues and stuff. So we get a very intimate portrait of Mary Jane, which before this, I don't think they really did very much of like, hey, let's sit down with just Mary Jane alone and talk about her thoughts. So it added an interesting fourth element to it because there's only there's four characters in this, four stories, and her story is detached but pivotal. And she does murder a rat very symbolically. Just yeah. beats the beats the stuffing out of it. Also, hats off, always Peter Parker being a Pavo and just having a a New York apartment that makes sense. Like this young couple in part where she's not that surprised to just see a big rat roll up. And yeah, yeah. Once I stayed before Airbnb was a thing in some friend of a friend's place in Hell's Kitchen. And when we were packing to come back, a good sized cockroach. And I say this as somebody who had visited Jamaica multiple times as a child. So when I say good size, like not Australian, but like definitely bigger than the kind of things we see in Toronto. Mm. Like it, it didn't skitter. It more exited my luggage and strolled up my arm. So that was that for that suitcase. Point is that New York apartment makes sense. It's one of the things that they do consistently well with most versions of Peter Parker. He's just living somewhere that just seems like just just south of where you'd want to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well Yeah. You're before yeah. for your George Jefferson before they move on up. Back to MJ. Also the most realistic, just a woman walking down the street and realizing Oh, sugar, there's two creeps there. And then there's always that debate. Do you pretend not to notice? Do you say nothing? Do you smile? Do you confront them? If you're in a bad mood, that could lead to your assault and or murder. Yeah. And it's just like this weird moment of just this is what it's like sometimes walking alone as a woman at night. And it's like I'm. she's just wearing pants that fit and she's curvy it's not her fault that she's got that ass it's because well as we spoke previously in especially in the ramita era they made both of them very hot also i love t2 peter just all curled up and naked in his like mind palace (laughs) 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 but yeah all that to say it's a nice little side quest with mj but it's also just as a woman who recently watched Barbie, it was a real flashback to that America Ferrara monologue. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, exactly. Like, she's just, she can't do anything. Like, she's just sitting at home. She's helpless. And also, even when she does sort of take control or take agency, it's still these, like, frustrating, grotesque moments, whether it's dealing with the creeps on the street or having to beat a rat to death. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not an ideal life. Definitely not. It's yeah. a hard knock life for MJ. It is, it is a hard knock yeah. life for MJ. Totally. And of course, the big moment for Peter is when he crawls out of the grave. Now that is kind of what this whole story comes from as it is, you know, the original pitch was based on what man has to crawl out of his own grave. When Mike Zek was brought into the story, the plot was completely finished. So the first thing that Mike Zek drew was the cover. So he didn't do the interiors yet. He just worked on each cover and he was given the titles of what each chapter would be. And when he heard the resurrection and they said, yeah, something coming out of the grave, he's like, well, that's, 
that's like a gift. It's like, I can make the best Spider-Man cover ever. And so he drew that one first. He goes, once I got that one, the other ones just flowed out of me. I, I think one of the best things he ever said about it was, if uh, anyone spending even one second over a cover idea for that issue would have been in the wrong business. Like saying that as soon as he was told, the story is called Resurrection, you got to get, Peter's coming out of his grave in that issue. It's like, oh, that's what we're going to do is the cover. And it is probably out of the six covers, the most iconic. I know that every time I see Zach at a convention, he's got a print of it ready to go. It's that the covers itself really do a great job of setting the scene in this. And listener, if you haven't read this before or seen any of the art from it, this is also black suit Spidey. Yeah. So it fits very much with this, you know, fight in the sewer, a lot of rainy nights, crawling out of one's grave kind of tone. And thank goodness for that, because I could not imagine a red and blue Peter, or even like a, a Miles kind of suit color, like a black, you like the all black with just the white. And then that also weirdly fits Craven better. Yeah. When he's cosplaying slash cause murdering as Spidey, because yeah, that suit, especially with the frame, he does have that sort of uh, Dorito shaped physique with those big shoulders. It's easier for him to get away with pretending to be Spidey when he's in the all black. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because years ago on the show here, we did an episode on Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, unfortunately, it's not available anymore because uh, there's a thing called Space Kids. We've only got so much space for so many episodes. That episode, we never talked about that. And it's like, yeah, that's a really interesting point is that it wouldn't have worked if it was traditional Spidey costume. The fact that it was during that period of the black costume Spider-Man, or as most artists call the boring Spider-Man, get very bored of drawing that costume Spider-Man. That costume was imperative to keep that horror element, that thriller element to the story. Speaking of the costume, how does she hug him when he comes home from the sewer fight? I mean, I get that you're excited to see him, girl, but I feel like I would have done like a skirt within like one inch and been like, boy, you need to get that off and get washed. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people think about that when yeah. they think, oh my God, I thought my husband was dead, you know? Oh, that cool. suit had a combination of like viscera, rat stuff, grave dirt, sewage. Man, I counteract. She must be used to some yeah. smells. Yeah, you know, she's used to some smells, but also I counteract that if you're thinking about that after all this, maybe you don't love the guy as much as you thought. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You're right. You're right. <laughs> when Peter finally gets out and finds out that he's lost two weeks, he's livid. He's going to track down Craven. But, you know, he's had two weeks underground. It's not like he's the best of uh, energy, best of health. So when he meets up with Craven again, Craven has his number. It's like this entire book is Craven just going, look, I'm better at you than this. I'm better at you than that. Look how smart I was. I took you out. And now you're weak. I can throw you around. Here, you're going to watch me beat up this guy you needed help to beat up. And then I'm going to set him free so he can beat you up. It is so like meticulous in his revenge that he wanted so much so that it's like the entire time you're reading it, you're like, wow, where do we go from here? Like if Spider-Man wins, how the hell does he win? How is he going to beat Craven? And for those that don't want to be spoiled on this, the book has been out for a number of decades, but Spider-Man doesn't beat Craven in this story. 
Craven essentially wins and in a way beats himself, but he doesn't beat himself because he gets the end that he wants. He's like, I've proven to you that I can beat, beat you. I've proven to you that I'm better than you. I've proven to you that I can beat other people that you have trouble beating. So we're done now. And he lets Spider-Man go. And you're thinking, what's going on here? And then, well, it turns out Craven was planning to kill himself that night. So much so he had the coffin set up and everything for it. And so he dies with a win over Spidey. And of course, Spidey then goes, tracks down Vermin, saves the day, is the hero type thing. But Craven got what he wanted. He wanted to win just once before he died. And he did. And when he did that, blew himself away. And that was that. And it would have been great if that was that. So, and if that's what, if that's what winning is, I I don't want to win that way. (laughs) Also, let's remember after Peter emerges from the grave and he's wobbly on his pins and can barely swing home before he goes for his revenge, which is almost all I could think about. He does bang one out with MJ first. I love that he doesn't conserve any energy at all. He's like, I literally have just enough left in me for like, two pumps to jump and I'm going to give it to her before I go out and find this man. Yeah. I think probably, I think probably in the back of my mind, Peter's head was like, again, there's the consciously, he was like, Oh my God, I'm alive. And she's here and everything. And I miss my wife. Exactly. Subconsciously. It was like, I'm going to go back out there again and I might die. So I better get get this in one more time. (laughs) And uh, she missed him too. Again, it's been two weeks, but yeah. 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 yeah, Exactly. It is tragic that this was a win for Craven, but to me, that's what I think makes it a classic. The fact that Craven just wanted one, and then after that, we're done, sort of thing. It was the planning, though. He went straight out of the textbook for revenge, dig two graves, which he literally did. (laughs) (laughs) Deployed his goons accordingly, pre-ordered the headstones, like... He probably even planned his shenanigans for a time of year where the ground is soft enough to erect headstones because, you know, New York, when it's winter, usually you have to wait. All of that. I'm just the planning as a project manager impressed, but also just at no point did he sort of stop and think this is like the saddest plan ever. Mm. Because even when you win, you lose. But he doesn't see it that way. He sees it as he'd hunted everything he wanted and just this one creature slash man. And when he comes to this realization that perhaps Spider-Man is more man than spider, where he thought initially why he beat him is because he was more spider than man. Mm. And having that realization at the end, he still had no kind of uh, epiphany and still proceeded with a really dumb plan. Yeah. To unalive himself. But it's a really dumb plan that is a really interesting to watch. To go like, okay, this guy is broken and he thinks this is the right way. I want to see where this goes. I want to see how Spidey gets out of this. And because of that, as I said, the story kind of made the character iconic. Before that, he was kind of a joke. Has the story. And if you had it just left it there, he would have always been this iconic character. 
But, you know, comics, you don't want to give up a fun design. You don't want to give up a fun character. So for a number of years, they had it that Craven's son, who looked exactly like him apparently, was taking on the Craven name. At one point, one writer decided, well, you know what? I'm going to have it that Craven's son doesn't look exactly like him and he's not going to wear the outfit anymore, all that sort of stuff. So then they changed the character of Craven's son. And then early 2010s, there was like this habit of the uh the spider-man team at the time that they're like let's look at some old spider-man stories and do like a sequel to them in continuity let's do that and let's bring in the original creators to tell like help set up those stories and stuff like that they did it with uh uh, nothing can stop the juggernaut they did a follow-up with something can stop the juggernaut and then with this they did craven's first hunt which was Craven's daughter is taking on the mantle of Craven and is going to defeat Spider-Man. And she attempts to kill Spider-Man the way her father did. She was going to try to repeat everything. Well, not the killing himself thing, but the other stuff. And this ends up leading to a story called Grim Hunt, where the Cravenoff family decides we're going to resurrect Craven by sacrificing Spidey. And so they think they're going to sacrifice Spidey. They end up sacrificing the clone Kane, who stands in to save Peter Parker. And because of this, when Craven is reborn, he can only ever be killed by Peter Parker. No other means will be able to kill him. Eh, I don't like a supernatural element on my Craven the Hunter. But probably the most egregious money grab of Craven's Last Hunt is that in 1992, they did a one-shot called Soul of the Hunter where Peter Parker is haunted by the ghost of Craven and basically needs help traveling over to the other side, to the afterlife. And it just, you know, I don't like bad sequels. You know, like when a film ends great, don't make a bad sequel. Mm-hmm. And this is just, unfortunately, its history has just created bad sequels. <laughs> And I feel bad for Craven's Last Hunt because it's been sullied by this. Thankfully, you can read Craven's Last Hunt and never read these other things. This is more of a warning to people. But when you have a good out, don't come back for more. It's like they say, when you have your big joke on stage in Vegas, leave and meet like it's like, oh, I got my big laugh. Thank you. Good night. And because for propriety's sake, I'll use this term generously compared when you think about all of the really gross stuff in this run, they do cut away when we assume he blows some part of his head off. Mm-hmm. So you could just, if you want to bring him back, just have us see that he shot one of his goons instead and made him unrecognizable, still left the confession behind and decided to like retire to do conservation animal population control somewhere until he decides to reemerge. Mm. Yeah. Like you don't have to like, you know, do all this weird stuff. Yeah, I still think any follow-up has always been, like, not good. I think any idea you come up with, it's like, no, it ended the way it should have ended. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's funny, though, looking back at Craven's Last Hunt, because it is very much a product of the time. The mid-'80s, things started to move towards the grim dark because of two books, Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. Both were mega hits for DC. So after that, both Marvel and DC were experimenting with the darker sides of their characters. You know, like there was the Longbow Hunters with Green Arrow. 
There was this. There was a number of stories that it's like, let's take things to a darker realm. Let's get a little bit crazier with our characters. And some of the stuff was good, but there was just so much of it that it's like, it's good that we moved away from it. Like one of the few gems is Craven's Last Hunt, in my opinion. But for the most part, it was like, it was very much a trend of the times. And uh, thankfully, some good, well-told stories can stand above a trend, but the trend really was, most of the stories aren't worth revisiting. This one is. Oh yeah, this, you know, around the 80s as well was like not the cheeriest time in the world. Kind of recession-y. Yeah. You know, plague and whatnot. But we don't know anything about that. But it was, when you think about comics and then when you read old ones and then wonder like, why is it like this? It is often, like just do a, a search of headlines in that time and <laughs> yeah. you kind of get the idea. Like this is uh before New York was, or especially Manhattan was Disneyfied. And yeah. Yeah. This is before whatever. Disney bought, uh, bought Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the, the nighttime vibes that these, especially the women were walking around in where you could get eaten by a giant man rat or just assaulted by a couple of creeps. It's yeah. This all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. From a tone perspective, it, it seems like a real bummer, but it actually was probably pretty of the time, whether we're talking about popular culture or other comics. The one thing I would want to say about Craven's Last Hunt that I thought was an interesting editorial issue, which was cool for this, but ended up causing a bad trend in the 90s. And that is the editor, Jim Salkrup, was like, we can't just have this in Spectacular Spider-Man. It's got to run through all three Spider-Man books until it's done. And the reason was, he went, if we got Spectacular Spider-Man coming out and Spider-Man's in the grave, but then we got Amazing Spider-Man coming out and he's not, nobody's going to buy that he's dead. Nobody's going to buy into this and so the emotion won't be there. I was like, that's a great reason. That's really good. The unfortunate thing of having a story go through all of a character's books, if they have multiple books, became like, just like, I felt like every six months in most of the mainstream comics in the 90s. So it was a cool idea for this, but uh, it was the start of a bad trend. Now, yeah, the, the execution, it could have, in current day, just been a standalone series. It could have, yeah, it could have been a miniseries, totally. Exactly. And I think even JMD Matisse looks back at it and goes, this could have just been a miniseries or a graphic novel we really didn't need to do this in the main book. Now, again, this is the first time that you read it, as I've already kind of stated, that I think it is a classic Spider-Man story, where I don't think it's the greatest Spider-Man story of all time. I think on the last episode, when we talked about it, I said that it was. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, it's one of the best, one of the best told stories in a Spider-Man book. But it's not the traditional look of Peter Parker like his mindset because he can't be in his mindset for this and is a much more darker horror version. So I can't really see it as the greatest Spider-Man story of all time, but I consider it one of the best for you that just read it. What do you think of this story? Spider-Man has some of the most comic pun intended comically attired named gimmicky rogues gallery. So this one taking two characters that, one could argue are very Halloween shop mm. costume and making them both so menacing and unrelenting and 
uh, creepy and scary and violent uh, definitely kicks it into a different sphere from other Spider-Man stuff. Even he only even gets off a couple of quips during a pretty grimy fight where again, I'm distracted by the conditions in the suit and thinking about uh, an interview once where Zendaya talked about how nervous she was for Tom Holland, because like, let's say if he were to get sick or throw up a little bit, like would he actually choke in the mask before they could get him out of the costume? Mm-hmm. And just thinking about him being like in wet sewage and having the mask on, it's like you're basically waterboarding yourself with sewage. It's gross. Mm-hmm. Anyway, point is, <laughs> I tangent a lot on this one. Yeah. It's the visuals that really stay with me, the grossness. And it takes him a lot out of his natural element, the sky. He's literally earthbound in this one. He's fighting in the sewers. We're seeing people get pulled into the sewers. He's buried partially alive it's an inverse of his whole energy everything from it being the black suit all of this like ground-based stuff us just seeing him at home you know just looking busted you know knocking a quick one out with the wife and heading back out to the street and and her energy is definitely not go get him tiger it's definitely more good lord and all of this is yeah i would say definitely most memorable one of the most memorable but in all of the ways it's different, it's still, there's this core Peter Parker thing. And that's what they did well, is they made the character him, even though we don't see him, you know, getting kicked around by his boss, flying through skyscrapers. But what we do see is his core concern is for his woman, whoever that woman is at the time, and protecting other people and doing what's right, ultimately the you know boy scattishness of his character like even vermin who is not just hurting people like legitimately eating them alive yeah and he still can't beat the brakes off him he he tries but he pulls his punches you see a full like panel of the hand coming for the big probably could break a neck punch if he uses full spider strength and he pulls back and so while so many things are different about this, Peter, that sort of core Parkerness is the same. And that's what makes it work because mm. they didn't change what you really need Peter to be. Right. Exactly. He's still deep down. The core values are there. Definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page as that it is a very good Spider-Man story and a very memorable one. Might not be the best, though, but is but, up there. I would recommend reading it around Halloween. More than, yeah, yeah, it'd be a good Halloween read. Yeah, definitely. So check it out. Uh, So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Back Issue Blowback. Petula, where can the good folks find you? At inatif.com, on threads, Instagram, TikTok, Hive, Spoutable, the other site at obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekhardshow.com. Follow me on the other site at <laughs> geekhard. Uh, of course, follow me on Instagram at andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. Of course, you can follow this show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. But to make sure you don't miss an episode, the best way to do that is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And then, you know, when you're done that, Go out and tell two friends about Back Issue Bloodbath.
And if you don't have two friends, tell two strangers. But don't do it in a back alley. Make sure it's right. well lit. Make sure not it's at night, in the, the rain, not, yeah, exactly. in tight night, pants. Yeah, definitely don't do it if you're wearing tight pants. That's what I'm saying here. Be safe, yeah. but still put out the good word of Back Issue Bloodbath. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. And I'm Petonio. Have yourself a good...